I have to say this, even though it's a bad thing to say at this at this moment. Of course you do, David. But they say, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. David. <laughs> well, it, you know, it's true. Laura Beth, I'm so sorry. No. You're listening to the Nacho Kids Podcast, where we discuss all things step family related. Real stories, real people, real help. Your hosts are the creators of the Nacho Kids Method and the Nacho Kids Academy Step Family Coaching Team, Lori and David Sims. David. Why you always start with my name? I don't know. What should I start with? Welcome to the Lori and David Show. <laughs> it's not the Lori and David Show. <laughs> uh, it is for the first few minutes. Yeah, that's true. Well, this episode is a little sad. Hmm. So, I can't cut up. Oh, you you cut up during it. Oh, I remember this one. <laughs> this is the one where I think, you know, at least for 25 to 30% of it, you sit there with your head in your hands and shaking your head at me like, I can't believe you said that. Yes. <laughs> this episode is with a stepmom that attempted suicide. Mm-hmm. We had the pleasure of meeting her at the Stepmoms Alive conference. I'm glad you didn't tell me that's who it was when you introduced me to her. Like, I know you introduced me by her name, but you didn't say, oh, by the way, this is the one we interviewed and blah, 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 because I would have been like, oh. <laughs> I should have done that. <laughs> I really should have done that. Made, uh, made you feel like an idiot. No, I wouldn't feel like an idiot. You know, it's just <clears throat> the conversation was getting deep and as... I often do. I, you know, use humor to mm, lighten the mood. Yeah, you say that. Lighten the mood. It's it's kind of my um, defense mechanism. My defense mechanism. There you go. I was gonna <laughs> say my distraction technique, but defense mechanism is probably better. It's me going. I am not comfortable here. <laughs> Let me make a a wise crack. So there have been times where um, that is not. The time or place for it, and it comes out anyway. And I left it in there. Yeah. I'm not saying it wasn't a time or place for it. I thought it was pretty funny, but because <laughs> it did bring the conversation back around a little lighter. Even she laughed about it. Probably because she didn't know what to do. Right. So her defense mechanism was laughing. <laughs> She's like, I feel uncomfortable. I will laugh, which, by the way, is what you do when you get uncomfortable. When I'm scared, I laugh. Yep. Which is probably why you laugh around me so often. Because you scare me so often. <laughs> uh, remember that time when we were driving the motorcycle and you'd laugh? Well, yeah. Going 100 miles an hour on the back of a motorcycle is just, you know, what else are you going to do? <laughs> Can't cry. I was about to run out of gas. I had to get to a gas station. That's a whole other story. <laughs> I just thank God every day I'm still alive. I wonder if they call it gas station everywhere else. They call them filling station. They probably don't call it that. Just convenience store. Or Petro places. Petro fill-up stations. I don't know. Everybody's got a different names for things. People always make fun of us because, you know, we don't say mow your lawn. We, we say, say cut, cut your grass. Cut the grass. <laughs> and we don't say, uh, what, water water hose or whatever. We say hose pipe. Or spigot. Yeah. No, we, no I'm talking about the hose, the hose pipe. Oh. People call them water hose. Yeah. We don't, I don't call them a water hose. I call it a hose pipe, and which is funny because it's two things, right? A hose and a pipe are the same. <laughs> a hose and a pipe's not the same thing. 
but it's the it's a water pipe because it's piping you know water's piping through it. It's also a hose. And then the little um, carts at the grocery store that you put your groceries in. Mm-hmm. Buggy. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Because some people call them a shopping cart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just call them a buggy. Yeah. What other kind of crazy stuff do we have going on? Oh Lord. Um, I don't know. Pecan, pecan. Oh yeah. Gosh, we can get all into that. It's definitely pecans. <laughs> no, it's pecan pie and butter pecan ice cream. <laughs> it's butter pecan ice cream. Let's see what else? Oh, cut the light on. Okay. I say cut the light on. And an alternative to what? Flip the switch. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> switch the light on. Well, think about it. Cut the light on makes no sense. Right. Cut it off. You don't cut it on. Well. That's like when people say, and you do this a lot, or you, oh, you used to anyway. I don't know if you still do or not. I don't pay attention anymore. But you what? would say you don't pay attention to me anymore. I don't pay attention to that anymore. But you would you would say, and I used to oh, kid you about I, it. I know what you get ready to say. But you would say, I bought this offline. And I'm like, so you went to the store and got it? No, I got it on the internet. I said, Oh, so you bought it online? No, I bought it offline. Right. No. How did you you can't be offline and then buy something online? <laughs> I bought it offline. <laughs> no, you did not. If you bought it offline, that means you went to the store and you got it because you'd bought it offline, like off the internet, like not off of the internet, but not on the internet. I bought it off of the internet. So I bought it offline. No, no. Yeah. It's not, line is not a, a smaller p- part of the word online. <laughs> It's not an abbreviation. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> line is not an abbreviation of online. Okay. I'm trying to think of other things. I like that one. That's so funny, though. I bought it offline. Yeah. So you went to the store? No. <laughs> I got it on Amazon. I just saw you bought it online. No. <laughs> bought it off but, the internet. You know, you're not the only one. I hear people do that all the time. I bought it offline. I bought this offline. And I'm like, no, you didn't. <laughs> you can't buy it offline. On the internet. I wonder if that would bother you so much if you weren't an IT person. I'm sure it would. You think? Yeah. That's like, why do you drive on the parkway, but park in the driveway? Who got that wrong? I don't know who created those words. I mean, that's, I don't know. I don't get it. And why does the freeway have toll bridges? It's not free. There's a toll. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. Hmm. It's like, how can something be new and improved? If it's new. It's new. If it's new, then it, it hadn't been improved on. And if you improved on it, it doesn't make it new. It just makes it improved. Because people aren't going to say old and improved. <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> <laughs> Every day I'm older and improving. <laughs> That's you, David. For sure. So like, I just don't, I don't know. I don't get where some people get some of the things. It's fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Where people come up with the wording on certain things that <laughs> makes no sense, but we go with it. Well, I mean, we don't have an alternative. Do we? Do we not? I think sometimes things come into our culture, though, based on past brands. So a brand becomes so prevalent that it becomes a verb. Like nachoing. Like nachoing. And like Googling. Like that means go search something. Doesn't necessarily mean use Google. But we use that like, hey, give me a Xerox copy of this paper. 
doesn't mean go use a Xerox machine. It just means go make a copy on a photocopier. Right. So there's all these terms that have just become verbs because the brand was so prevalent. But Xerox is not a verb. Xeroxing would be a verb. Okay. Well, I've heard people say, give me a Xerox copy of this. Okay. But that's not a verb. (laughs) It's a conjunctive verb. It's not. So back to nachoing. So nachoing is a verb now, (laughs) which is funny in and of itself. But yeah. Um, but those make sense, but you're going to look down the road and people are going to be talking about nachoing and they're not even going to realize that it comes from doing the nacho kids method. They're going to think that nachoing is just something else. Just like Googling doesn't mean use Google to search for something anymore. It just means search for something. Go Google it. Well, when I say I Google it, I mean, I Google it. <laughs> Cause you're using Google. Yeah. But there are people that don't use Google. There's two of them I know. <laughs> was it Google that I read an article about or Chrome the other day? And I meant to send it to you. It was like reasons you shouldn't use Chrome or. Uh, that's, you know, they all go back and forth on that. But Chrome is by far the most used browser on the Internet. But this has something to do with like privacy or something. Yeah. Yeah. There is no privacy. <laughs> you carry your phone around with you. Anybody can listen. Yeah. Matter of fact, people are listening to us right now. Yeah. <laughs> See? There's no privacy, you, people. Oh, man. Don't you love it when you're talking about something and then like, you start getting ads on your phone for it? Oh, my gosh. And you're like, I know I didn't search for that. How is it I'm getting these ads now? Because they hear you. Or like when we're talking about Google, sometimes my phone will light up. And if you think that we're just making up crap, we're not. Start talking about, okay, here you go. Got a good one for you. <laughs> <laughs> Start talking about caskets. That's not a normal a- everyday conversation. Start talking about caskets or funerals and watch your ads on Facebook all of a sudden have to do with caskets or funerals. Mm-hmm. I've seen it happen. It happened to us all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. Keep mm-hmm. telling you, I ain't searching for that stuff. It just shows up. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a whole nother subject, David. <laughs> <laughs> the Russian brides keeps popping up on his phone for some reason. I know. And you know if I'm going to order one, it won't be from Russia. I know. Cost too that must much. be from you talking to Anton. It's probably from talking to Boyan. Boyan? Yeah. He, you know, he's outside of Russia somewhere. Croatia. Don't bring Boyan into it's this. It's Boyan's fault. He sent, me, he sent me semi-nude pictures of himself one time anyway. Boyan? Well, he was shirtless. Ain't that semi-nude? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> now, you know when we send him this podcast to marry everything together, he's going to edit this part out. <laughs> no, he won't. He'll probably insert his own, <laughs> his own something in here. You never know. Yes. Boyan is our wonderful friend from Croatia that has worked with David for several years. And when we started the Nacho Kids podcast, I desperately needed help. And putting the beginning and the ending and the intro and the outro and the ad and all that stuff together. And so he helped me yep. and continues to help me because he's awesome. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Boyan. Woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> no, boy, you're not going to get on your own show on this one. <laughs> I don't know. Get a blooper show. I've been saving stuff for bloopers. We should do that. Boyan, you want to do a blooper show? <laughs> He can't do a blooper show off Nacho Kids, though, because he doesn't edit my podcast. Oh, but if he did, 
See? Uh, see, Boyan? Another reason you should be editing my podcast. <laughs> you missed out. <laughs> <laughs> see All what right. you're missing, boy? So we've rambled enough about some craziness this morning. Yeah, but I want to finish talking about um, Laura Beth. Right. Yeah, because I don't know how we got off. Man, we were chasing rabbits and squirrels. <laughs> you're a farmer. Yep. Okay. Laura Beth is a beautiful soul. She really is. When I met her, of course, I'd spoken with her first on the podcast recording, but when I met her, it's just, um, there's a presence about her that you can't help but love her. And it's definitely a blessing that she's still here with us because she almost was not. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about it before. There are a lot of stepmoms that are depressed and have suicidal thoughts. And we beg you to please reach out and get help. Yeah. We give you the numbers on the show, too, for like the suicide hotline and things like that. I don't know if we give the numbers on this show, because we've talked about this before, but um, I will post the numbers in the show notes. Okay. Yeah. So if you're ever having a hard time and you're having crazy thoughts and feelings and all that, look, your feelings are justified. It's it's hard. Um but but find something that will detract distract you <laughs> from that. All you got to do is listen to any podcast episode in the first 10 minutes of me being stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you can't help but laugh and feel sorry for Lori at the same time. <laughs> yes. You're not supposed to agree with that. Oh, sorry. So uh, anyway, anything else you want to say about this before we get started? Um, you may want to grab your Kleenexes. <laughs> Yeah. When, when she told her story at Stepmom's Alive conference, there was not a dry eye in that place. I'm just glad they took a break before we had to come in after her. <laughs> yeah, it was her presentation, lunch, and then hours. So, yeah. Yeah, talking about going from one extreme to the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am so glad they had lunch between that. <laughs> and if you see somebody that's struggling, reach out to them. Even if it's a Facebook message saying, hey, I saw you post in such and such group, and I just wanted to tell you that I'm here for you, or if you need to talk. Now, granted, don't put yourself out there too much to where crazy people are going to contact you, but <laughs> you know, be there for other stepmoms because this crap's hard. We know it's hard, and sometimes you just need somebody to say, you know what, girl? I got your back. Yeah. And that also reminds me about how sometimes people are quick to bash other people. Oh, my gosh. And look, I get it as far as people post some crazy stuff, and it can sometimes ruffle your feathers, but, you know, be nice in your responses. You can disagree without being harsh. Yeah, you don't have to be hateful. Right. As uh, Lori often says, um, you ain't got to be mean and nasty about it. Yeah, you ain't got to be mean and nasty. <laughs> don't be nasty. Don't be ugly. No, was that you said? Yeah, don't be ugly. Don't be ugly. That's not nice. Yep. So yeah, be you know be thoughtful on things like that because even though you might see it as a crazy post, somebody else, I mean that it could be their last cry for help, and maybe the reason why the post doesn't make a lot of sense is because they're just mentally exhausted. Well, I mean, I could see it now. Me going in a Facebook group, posting about the cereal box, the empty cereal box, and people making fun of me because mm-hmm. oh my gosh, it's an empty cereal box. But that was a trigger for me because that empty cereal box represented laziness, that the stepkids were going to live with us till they were 90, um, disrespect. I mean, it represented so much more to me than an empty cereal box. But 
people could easily go, oh my gosh, it's an empty cereal box. What's wrong with you? Well, when you're feeling stressed out and you already feel like the world's against you, the last thing you need in a stepmom group is other stepmoms bashing you and making fun of you. And I'm not even going to say a support group. I'm just going to say a stepmom group. Yeah. Yeah, because I don't know that there's many true support groups. Well, there's a fine line between support and validation of you being ugly. (laughs) You know? Yeah, that's true. So anyway, let's get to listening to Laura Beth Ferguson and her sweet little soul. All right, folks, get ready. But first, a word about the Academy. There is a way to save your sanity and your relationship, and it's called the Nacho Kids Academy. In the Nacho Kids Academy, you will learn the skills and knowledge to properly nacho, techniques to handle stepfamily challenges, ways to improve your communication, and much, much more. Visit NachoKidsAcademy.com and sign up today to join other step parents who are seeing the life-changing benefits of nachoing. Again, that's NachoKidsAcademy.com. Today, we have Laura Beth Ferguson as a guest. How are you today, Laura Beth? I'm doing great. How about you? Good. Doing well. Don't use my doing well, David. Doing well. No, I'll do it like you. Doing well. <laughs> doing well. <laughs> <laughs> well, how long have you been blending, Laura Beth? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, technically, I feel like I've been in a blended family situation uh, probably since I was about Five, I was raised in a blended family myself, and um, and then I was a blended mom for eleven years. Okay, so you were um, you had a stepmom and a stepdad, or just a stepmom? So I had just a stepdad. And how was that? Um, he so <laughs> so I've had two stepdads actually. Let me back that up a little bit. Sorry about that. Uh, so my mom married this uh, gentleman from church uh, when I believe I was four or five, and um, he started going to seminary school to become a pastor. And sadly, um, several years later, uh, he passed away from cancer. And um, and then, but my mama was gorgeous gorgeous, stunning woman. And so she wasn't single for very long. And she married the man that lived across the street from us. And uh, he actually was, um, he knew that our dad had passed away. And he would invite my brother and I out to ice cream. And he would build stuff with us in his wood shop. And so he kind of romanced my brother and I before he romanced uh, my mom. And so they got married when I was nine and he was a pastor as well. And so um, I was a pastor's daughter as well as uh, being in a blended family, but he, uh, he's my daddy. He's, he took us kids in and he had already raised his four kids and um it was, he was a lifesaver for me. He took a, a very hurting little girl and, and helped kind of heal pieces of my heart. So I love him dearly. I've got a couple of questions. Mm-hmm. Your bio dad. Mm-hmm. Was he in the picture? So my biological dad uh, took off 
when I was four and um, I did not hear from him again until I was 21. Wow. So he was not in the picture whatsoever. So, yeah. Do you have a relationship with him now? Uh, well, when, when he came back into my life, um, I had very little contact with him. Um, and he, he got cancer as well. And towards the end, um, God really healed my heart and allowed me to be able to forgive him and, and tell him that I loved him before he passed away. Um, but there was not much of a relationship there. No. Okay. Yeah. He wanted to make sure there wasn't any child support to be paid when he came back around. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) No, really. I mean, you, he, he wanted no responsibility at all. And, and when he came back into the picture, even after all those years, he tried to say things about my mom. And I nipped that in the bud really quickly and said, you know what? She stuck around. You didn't. You have no right to say anything about her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, this guy was a stranger to you. Yes. Yes. Complete. So much so that um, so we were, we were in the Methodist uh, denomination, and they moved their pastors very much like they do military families. So we would be at a church for a couple of years and then they would move us to another church. And I remember as a teenager helping my mom pack up the basement and getting ready to move to a new place. And a picture fell out of a Bible and I held it up and I looked at it and I thought, you know, this person looks familiar like I should know them, but I don't recognize, like, I don't know who this is. I turned it around and I said, mom, who is this? And she got this really weird look on her face and she goes, that's your dad. So that I knew nothing of him. I didn't even know what he looked like. So yeah, he was a complete stranger. Wow. Well, I'm glad you got the chance to um, make amends before he passed away for your sake. Yes. That was completely the Lord. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. So let's fast forward to your own blended family. How, how <laughs> is it that you ended up in a blended family? Well, um, I had been a single mom for eight years and uh, met this gentleman. And, um, you know, I just thought, uh, you know, after experiencing a blended family myself for so many years, I knew that it wasn't easy. You know, I, I had been privy to the behind the scenes action that goes on in a blended family. And I had watched my mom go through some pretty painful situations as a stepmom. And, um, and experienced some hurtful things as a step kid. Um, and so I knew it wasn't going to be easy, but I thought at least it would, you know, help me. I had education, you know, mm-hmm. and boy, was I wrong. I was so, <laughs> so wrong. <laughs> but um, we blended our two families. So I had my two boys, uh, which were uh, preteen and teen. 
and he had his two, uh, his daughter was nine and his son was four. So, And when you went into the blend, did you um, jump in full force of, I'm the mom, I'm going to control everything, and or did you kind um, of step in slowly? You know, um, ours was kind of a, a unique situation because um, he had full custody of his kids. Um, the biological mom um, had just completely given up her rights and walked away to do her own thing. So she had visitation like on holidays. Um, and because we were a military family, um, she lived in a completely different state from us. So there was no, you know, every day or every other weekend kind of dealings. Mm-hmm. So I was really the only mother figure that they had. And the two, um, we were driving somewhere in the car. And this was before we even got married. And the kids from the back, his kids from the back seat said, um, you're like a mom. And I laughed and I said, well, I am a mom. I have, you know, Nick and Zach. And they said, no, you're like our mom. And complete silence between Andy and I. And I kind of looked at him out of the corner of my eye. and. Um, and then they said, can we call you mom? <laughs> and so um, it was something that they had asked for early on. And uh, Andy and I talked about it. And he said that, you know, if they wanted to call me mom, that they were more than welcome to. He was okay with that. And and I was okay with that. Um, and so, I mean, I... I did jump in full force and, you know, had every intention of giving them what they obviously were in need of. Um, But, uh, you know, for me, I know what being mom meant to me. And that meant the good and the bad. You know, you have to love them, but you also have to discipline which is what I did with my kids. And that's where the stepmom line stops. You know, they want mm-hmm. you to love them and take care of them. But when the disciplining comes into play or, um, you know, the training part of growing up children, um, they don't want that part. And so that's really where our situation broke down. So bio mom's not in the picture very much. You're playing mom for the most part. They Mm -hmm. wanted you to play mom when it came to helping take care of them in um, ways that benefited them that they could see, but not from the discipline standpoint. Correct. Yep. And what was your husband's thoughts on that? Um, Same. The Mm -hmm. same. He, um, he was, uh, we both had very different um, parenting styles, which you hear about 99.9% of the time when you talk to step families. Um, and uh, I 
I grew up being uh, disciplined and um, raised my kids the same way. You know, if you did something, you got spanked. Mm -hmm. You got, you know, sat down afterwards and hugged and loved and, you know, this hurts me more than you kind of thing. And, um, uh, but he was not raised like that at all. And he didn't raise his kids like that either. And so we very quickly um, clashed with, now I didn't, I did not spank his kids by Mm -hmm. any means. Um, I did feel like that was something that, you know, that puts you in a precarious position um, and, you know, can throw you into a legal um, battle pretty quickly or mm-hmm. put you in a position of in false accusation. Um, so, but, you know, even just the household chores, you know, we had a full house and a full life and, um, I believed in everybody having their share of, you know, contributing and helping out. And he did not, my husband did not believe in that at all. So, yeah, it was tough from the get-go. Do you think that he had guilty parent syndrome? Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. He definitely parented out of guilt for uh what his kids had been through with their divorce. And, mm-hmm. and that was very evident. Um, he, he would, he would appease them by purchasing uh, things for them. Um, and so there was also the money thing that was in there. So every time they went somewhere, they got something and my kids weren't raised like that either. Mm-hmm. You had to earn, you know, you had to earn, what you got. And, um, yeah, so there were so many differences. So his parents raised him where he didn't have much, many responsibilities or chores and things like that too. Correct. Yes. Was he an only child? No, him and his sister. Uh, he had an older sister that was two years older than him. Okay. The reason I ask is, you know, a lot of times, um, it seems like the, when there's an only child, that child isn't expected to have the same responsibilities as a family that has multiple children. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> Why am I getting this evil look from you, Lori? <laughs> <laughs> Were you an only child, Dave? Uh, no, she has an only child. Oh, gotcha. Mm-hmm. He's making fun of my baby. She, she's got <laughs> one and I have uh, four. So, I was just uh, screwing with your point, Laura Beth. That's all I was doing. I don't understand all the angry looks I get. Good grief. Yes, yes. (laughs) He was very much raised like an only child, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. I'm children. Goodness. David. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so uh, let's move away from David for a second. When did you see that you started having um, a lot of issues in the blend? Mm. It didn't take long. No. Um, there was there were issues that I saw right away with the kids, uh, with his two kids. Um, uh, his son um, 
had a problem with lying, um, even from the small age of four. And he just could not tell the truth to save his life. Um, and um, because of the way Andy parented, I remember less than a year of being married. Um, he, his son had lied again about something. And Andy said, listen, if you lie one more time, you are going, you're going to have to stay behind when we go on our family ski trip. And uh, not, but two days later, you know, very recently after he lied again and got caught. And so I said to Andy, um, so we need to start making arrangements then for someone to watch him and keep him while we go on our family ski trip. And he's like, what? I'm not not taking my kid. Yeah, exactly. And I said, you're building, you are perpetuating his behavior because you told him, you gave him a boundary and you're not going to follow through with it. And he said, well, I just, I just can't do that. And I knew, And, and this child stood in front of me at five years old and said, hmm, I guess I got my way, didn't I? <laughs> and it was at that moment that I knew that I was in big trouble. So, and that was less than a year of being married. It was probably a couple of months, actually. Holy moly. Yeah. Well, we, we talk about that sometimes where parents will set themselves up for failure because they put, they put something on in front of the kid that they feel like, you know, this is such a big deal that I know that they're not going to do wrong because they don't want to lose the privilege. But what they don't understand is that they're not willing to enforce that. Exactly. And when something goes wrong, they, they have to figure out, okay, am I really going to enforce this? Because I, I didn't plan to enforce it. I really just use it as a threat. And then yeah. now they're stuck. Yes, and that is how Andy parented the entire time. Well, it's a good thing that Facebook wasn't really around a whole lot then or these Facebook groups because if you would have posted this in a Facebook group, everybody would have said, leave, leave. Yes. (laughs) And honestly, um, the people surrounding me did. Yeah. In fact, the entire 11 years I was uh, married, People would say to me, you, you need to be done with that. But I believed in my vows and I loved my husband and I was determined to stick it out. And I'll be honest, I mean, there, there were times where I threw out the, the big B word and um, had conversations, you know, this has to change. This, this can't happen, um, but it just, yeah, never. So I'm flipping to the end of the book here, but did you finally get divorced? So um, my husband walked out uh, at the beginning of this year. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's, let's back up because I know part of your story yeah. of things that happened. So year one, think, or right in the beginning, you knew things were bad. 
Mm-hmm. And I believe your husband was deployed. He has deployed um, several times and both times. So two times. One was uh, about a year into our marriage. And while he was deployed, I was given full custody of his kids. And, um, and, you know, they were still fairly young. And that deployment, although it was rough, um, it, you know, we managed and got through it and kept going. And um, and then we had been married five years when his second deployment came along. And so the kids were now preteen and teen. And uh, my two were out of the house. And um, again, I was given full custody of his kids. Um, but this time it was, and it was brutal. Um, so they had gone on their summer break to visit their mom. And they left the day before my husband left for his deployment. So they all went. And then summer break was done. And when I went to go pick up the kids from the airport, they weren't on the plane because the mom had decided that she was going to keep her own kids, that they didn't belong to me. Mm-hmm. And so we went into this custody battle, spanning from Texas to South Korea to Michigan. And it ended with uh, the kids being removed by a police escort from their mom, put on a plane, and sent to me. Wow. And Congratulations. You won. <laughs> right. And I'm sure you can imagine you know, what state of mind those kids were in by the time they got to me. Yeah, you didn't have a chance. Right, exactly. I was the stepmom stuck in a no-win situation. They were angry. They were hateful. um, They were scared and confused. And um, they took it out on me. And uh, within two hours of getting the kids home, uh, my stepdaughter snuck out of the house, went to a friend a couple of blocks away, called her mom, and accused me of being abusive to her. And that was really the the beginning of just the downfall, I should say. And uh, fear. I mean, I... The fear just immediately came over me. Um, I was fearful of um, police showing up on my doorstep with, you know, child services um, and just fearful of, you know, how to even talk to the kids or handle the kids or anything. And at first, my husband was um, supportive of, you know, me taking charge and, and doing what I needed to do to, to handle the situation. But then about, I guess it was seven months into the deployment, uh, my stepdaughter, again, accused me of being abusive. And this time, my husband chose to believe her. And uh, from Korea, he said, um, we're getting divorced. I'm sending my dad to remove the kids from your care. 
you need to pack your things and get out. I'm going to sell the house and we're done. It's amazing how people can figure out other alternatives to the kids when there are problems, but they couldn't figure out those same alternatives beforehand. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I had begged him, you know, over those seven months because I was drowning and I knew it. And I was like, please, you need to help me. I, I need help. But I was too scared to suggest that he send them back to their mom or, you know, have one of his relatives take them because then I would be the reason that he had lost his kids mm-hmm. and so, and was afraid that that then would bring divorce, you know? Um, so I was, I just, I felt stuck and, and I was stuck. I was put in a very bad position. And, um, so as I was packing the kids things, uh, getting them ready for my father-in-law to pick them up, I found a letter in my stepdaughter's drawer that suggested that she had been cutting herself. So I went to her and she showed me um, where she had been cutting herself. Um, they were old. She hadn't, hadn't been doing it, obviously, for a while because they were old scars. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I took it seriously and I called my husband and told him what I had found. And, and we were both, you know, just devastated by it. And, uh, and he very kindly said, it's okay. Um, we're going to, we'll figure this out together. And, and I believed him. I was like, okay, that that's all I needed. That was the hope that I needed right there. Mm -hmm. And, um, the military immediately uh, arranged for him to come home on emergency leave. And um, I had a couple of friends. So my father-in-law showed up and took the kids. Um, and two of my very dear friends came over to be with me that night. And um, as we're sitting at my dining room table, I got a text message from my husband as he was boarding his plane saying, uh, you don't need to pick me up from the airport. Uh, My dad and the kids are picking me up instead. I don't need you there. Wow. Which means there was a lot of conversation after they were picked up from their dads and Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So uh, it was like someone just walked over and flipped off the light switch in my life. Just everything went dark. All the hope was gone. And the rug had been ripped out from underneath me. And um, so I escorted my friends to the front door and locked the door behind them and shut off all the lights and called my kids and said goodbye to my children and then attempted uh, suicide. Hmm. So what happened next? You know, it's really interesting because 
nobody has been able to piece together all of the details. Um, I don't know how the paramedics found me. I don't know how they even knew to find me. I don't know how they got into my house, um, but they did. Um, And I woke up the next day in the hospital angry (laughs) because nothing had changed. Right. So, um, and from the hospital, uh, they sent me to a mental health institution uh, for the next three days where the psychiatrist that uh, I met with said, you don't belong in here. You are, you have just suffered and have um, reacted from PTSD after I told him, you know, my story and what had happened. And so they didn't medicate me. Um, They did not, you know, set up any long-term treatment plan for me other than that I needed to meet with a therapist and and, uh, get help dealing with what I had just been through. So when when you called your kids, I guess you spoke with them. Um, you d- didn't leave a message. You had a conversation with them, right? I did. Mm-hmm. And did they realize that you were going to com- try to commit suicide? I don't know that they realized that that's what was going to happen. I think they realized that I was hurting and that I was not in good shape. So. Did you ever ask them if they called the ambulance? Mm-hmm. I did. And um, they, so my oldest did not. My youngest, um, although he knew my phone number, didn't really know too much of like, this is where my mother lives. Because I was in a completely different state from him. And uh, he was still... Oh, goodness, was he? I forget uh, what what age he was. I think he was in college. Anyway, um, so I guess there was some going around and trying to figure out where I was located. And I don't know if that's who it came from or not, but um, mm-hmm. yeah. So when you woke up and you were basically upset because you weren't successful, did your husband contact you or did you contact him? How did he find out about your attempt? Um, One of my friends actually went to the airport and met him at the airport and said, Laura Beth's in the hospital. She tried to commit suicide. and he did not contact me. Wow. He showed up at one of the scheduled counseling sessions in the mental health place. Um, He did show up for that and uh, said, you know, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do. I'm done with her. And he was supposed to, uh, be the one to give me a ride home after I was released, um, but he did not. So I had to contact a friend to 
and pick me up. So I guess the hospital contacted him to come to that meeting? The mental health place did, the therapist. Okay. On staff did, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he came and basically said he was done with you and you could find your own ride home. Yeah. Yeah. How did, how did you feel? Mm-hmm. I would think you felt the same way you did when you tried to commit suicide. Yeah. Abandoned. Yeah. Yeah. Completely left in shambles is what I felt like. I had kept his kids for him and done the best that I could. And that's what I got in return. You know, it, it was, yeah, it was hard to, uh, and I was angry. That because nothing had changed. Nothing had changed. I was still could not see anything, could not hear anything, and could just feel the intense feelings of rejection. What stopped you from trying again? That's a really good question. And honestly, it it went through my mind time and time again over the following I would say two months. Um, my kids, so my oldest flew in from Japan where he was stationed. And my youngest came in from Colorado Springs. And my daughter-in-law came down from Dallas. And they helped pack my things up um, and moved me back to Colorado Springs where my youngest lived. And I moved into a tiny basement bedroom in a friend's house and literally just laid in bed for weeks, not talking, not eating, not moving. And there came a moment that God just whispered into me and said, be still. I'm still your God. And that was the point where things turned around for me. Because once my stepdaughter first accused me of abuse, the fear just completely took over. I wasn't listening for God's voice. I wasn't um, looking to Him like I normally did. And the fear just completely silenced any, um, any voice of reason. And um, once I started hearing God's voice again and just listening to what he was telling me and showing me. Um, once that happened, then that's when the suicidal thoughts um, went to the background. Because there were times when I was laying in my friend's house that it went through my mind. Oh, I'm sure. You know, um I've had some family members and some friends and friends' parents that have committed suicide, and everybody says, well, that's selfish. And the thing is, when, in my opinion, and maybe you can clarify this, when you were telling your kids goodbye, you weren't thinking that you were going to hurt them. You were thinking that you would make everybody's life better. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You just, you think about all, when that's happening, you know, the enemy just comes into your head and it says, look at all these things you've done to hurt the people in your life. And 
and you do you see you believe those things and and you think I am messing up royally and they will be better off mm-hmm. you know I won't hurt anybody anymore I won't you know mess up their lives any more than I already have so all of those things just come and that's all you see well you probably even have thoughts of oh, when one of your sons was five and he got mad at you for disciplining him, you start feeling guilty about that. Everything that you have done wrong is what comes to the forefront of your mind. Yeah. Yeah. Every time that you've ever hurt somebody, that's what you think. And that's what you keep hearing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that kind of answers the question as to how how can you do uh, or how can you attempt to, to commit suicide when your problems, at least in the story, it sounds like the problems are with your stepkids and your, and your husband. And, and now all of a sudden, you know, I guess as you're telling the story, I'm looking at it going, why, why weren't your kids enough to keep you from doing it? I'm asking myself that question. Um, but I guess that's the answer is that you, you're not looking at your kids from that perspective. You're looking at, the fact that all those years of little mistakes here and there are really the only things you're thinking about. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And if you've made big mistakes, which I had, I had made big mistakes, you know, and, and when you think about those things that you've done wrong, um, that you see nothing else. You don't see the good that you've done. You don't see, um, how your life matters at that moment. And yeah. Now, do you, do you feel like this was um, something that was building up? Like maybe in your head, you were thinking that you would react that way or was it kind of shocking to, even to you that, oh, wow, well, I actually picked this path to take. Right. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it, it was very shocking. Um, I'm a person who loves life. I live it to the fullest. Um, I am, well, my mama calls me a pit bull. Um, and she calls me a pit bull, but with a smile. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's a very accurate description of me. Um, in fact, just a week before this happened, I ran uh, the Austin Marathon. So, I'm a person who enjoys life and a person who's motivated and um, and it it was shocking. And I think it actually um, scares me to know that my mind can go to that length um, in that direction. So it was very eye-opening for me, you know, as I've grown through that and passed it. Um, that it's something that I, that is in me that I have to watch. And now I know warning signs to watch for. Um, and um, I've also learned uh, that I, I have a plan when those um, thoughts start coming into my head again. There are things that I have set in place that I do immediately. Um, to get those feelings in check, to deal with those so that they don't go past the, the cliff line. So 
but yeah, it was, um, it was shocking to me and everyone else. So, okay. So, um, you stayed with your husband after this though? Well, that was the interesting thing. So once, um, once I had that moment with the Lord, um, it wasn't like an instantaneous, you know, recovery or anything like that. It was gradual. Like over the next couple of weeks, I started being able to eat again and talking to people again and getting out of bed. And then um, my prayer life started getting back to where it was. I've always been just an intense um, prayer warrior. And so I started getting back into that and reading the word again. And after a couple of months, um, the Lord kind of spoke to me again. And he was like, now that I have your attention again, um, go back and fight for your family. And that was about three o'clock in the afternoon. And by 5 a.m. the next morning, I was packed and on the road back to Texas and um, spent the next two months fighting for my marriage and for my family. And the Lord miraculously intervened and put us back together. And we were together for the next six years. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um. So you grew up with a stepdad that was a preacher yeah. or a pastor. Yeah. I grew up um, basically going to Pentecostal churches, not with the snakes and stuff, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, ma'am. And we were always taught that if you committed suicide, you went to hell. Yeah. Now, I know as I'm older and um, from research and things like that, that it does not say that anywhere in the Bible. But what were your thoughts on that? Had you been raised the same way that suicide was like the ultimate no-no? I have been, yeah. I mean, I think anybody that's been raised in the church has been told that. And, you know, all I know is that when I was attempting, um, I, I told God, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready to come and be with you and experience peace in my life. And um, I was not thinking, okay, I'm ready to go to hell. Um, right. For sure. And, and well, I honestly, know- if you thought you were going to hell, you probably wouldn't have attempted it, right? Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, for me, it was. I I could not imagine feeling that pain for one more second and just wanted to be with the Lord. Right. So, yeah. And, you know, honestly, since, and and I've not even thought about this, this until right now, not one person came to me and said, you know, how could you do that? You were going to go to hell. So. I guess I'm pretty blessed uh, that I didn't have anyone that uh, came and said that to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, that's one, one of the things uh, in the church community that I think is 
um, something that we have to be more kind and loving uh, to those people who suffer from suicidal ideation, you know, because it's part of what keeps Christians silent when mm-hmm. they suffer from this. And we're not helping them by shaming them into silence. So, yeah. And recently there was um, a very active pastor and youth leader yeah. and yeah. that in committed California. suicide. Yeah. yeah. And he, yes. he actually did talks on depression yes. and suicide, right? Yes, that was one of his major platforms. Yes, indeed. Yep. Yeah, there was another uh, pastor in California, probably six months before him, same thing. Um, and then I was reading an article just a couple of weeks ago about, uh, I believe it was Princeton had hired a gentleman to head the. Um, the department that would take care of the mental health for their campus students. Mm -hmm. And um, he penned a letter saying, I just can't handle this anymore and took his life. And we see that more and more with people that are in that community trying to help others. Um, We're seeing it a lot. And now we're seeing it more and more in in uh, the Christian world as well, so yeah, it's it's really sad. Um, like I said, I've had some friends that have committed suicide and really family sorry. members, and it, it's just heartbreaking. We actually had a little girl that lived um, next door to us. She was what sixteen, David. Mm-hmm. Um, she went to Carolina Christian Academy with um, the kids, so they knew her and. Um, she committed suicide. Yeah. And I remember one of the things that they were saying was that she had Bible verses posted all in her room. Mm-hmm. And then they talked about um, at her funeral, how I think like 10, 15 kids got saved mm-hmm. at her funeral. Wow. So you could see, I don't want to say a blessing out of her tragedy, but... um it's just it's just really sad, and yeah. people don't get the help they need. They, like you said, they don't want to talk about it. They don't know how to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's and they the don't whole taboo thing. Talking about it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know, if you if you're suicidal, you're weak. No, you're not. Yeah. Or crazy. It's also something that doesn't um, it doesn't like plop in your lap. Right? It, it sneaks up on you, and so oh, you yeah. you find yourself in the in a frame of mind over a period of time that you don't realize it because the heat was turned up so slowly you don't realize you're you're now standing in boiling water. Exactly. That and, is so and, really the, true. And, the, and the only relief you have is is you feel like is is just getting yourself out of there. And yeah. it very much is um the it is the mental state that you're in as as our mm-hmm. pastor often puts it, the scene of the crime is in your mind. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and uh, and it's hard to deal with because it's an internal struggle that people can't see unless you let them in. Mm-hmm. It's easy to to help people when you can see it externally, but you can't always do that. You can't always see yeah. what's happening. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, that's very true. Um, and uh, so I now uh, speak for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and. 
uh, one of the things that we say is that, you know, when someone commits suicide, we, we look for an event. Like had somebody looked at my situation, they would have said the event was my husband uh, saying he was done with me. Mm-hmm. But when you look behind the scenes, what research shows is that there are um, a combination of factors that play into it. Um, usually depression, like some kind of a, um, a mental disorder of some kind, um, and um, something like childhood trauma or, you know, something that had happened early on in their lives. And then, you know, this other event happens and it's like this perfect storm. They all converge together. And um, that's when you see the breakdown in a person. So we can't look for just an event. It's a convergence of things that have happened to this individual over their lifetime. So, yeah, um, because people want a why. A why did yeah. she do this? And with yeah. that why, it's not, well, she went through 20 years of this. It's, no, mm-hmm. what specifically caused her to do this? Exactly. Yeah. People want the easy answer to make it make sense in their heads. And, and it's, not, it, it's not the case. You can't get an easy answer for it. Well, obviously, your friends that you pushed out the door that night never thought you were going to commit suicide or try to commit suicide or they would have never left. Correct. Yeah. Well, they probably left because he, she asked her to, I mean, you know, you, you're like, mm-hmm. I just need some time alone. And they feel like they're, they're, they're doing what you want, which is just giving yeah. you your space. Right. Mm-hmm. But if she had shown suicidal tendencies prior to that, more than likely one of those friends would have been like, no, I'm not leaving you. Exactly. Well, and they did push back on me because they knew I was in a pretty bad state because I'm normally a very happy, you know, happy person and they knew I was hurting and they, they begged me, please let us just stay the night with you. No, I had, I had literally made up my mind. I made up my mind. I very calmly took them to the door and said, no, um, I need you guys to go. Because I knew what I was going to do. Wow. And, yeah. When you got the text message saying that he didn't need you to pick him up, is that when you knew what your next yes. thing was going to be? Yes. Yes. I was already hurting beyond mm-hmm. what I can accurately put into words. And then, it, but I was holding on to that little piece of what he had said. It's okay. I'm coming home and we'll figure this out together together mm-hmm. yeah. and then once he removed that it was like everything went dark everything. did he ever apologize for not um for believing the stepdaughter or for not being supportive of you after you your attempt or um no did y'all even ever talk about it he refused to talk about it i asked him to go to a counselor with me And he said no, that it needed to be left in the past where it was. So even after you got back together, he was not very supportive of you. Correct. Correct. But you kept pushing. 
to keep mm-hmm. your family together. Yeah. Yeah. And then you said the beginning of this year he just left. Mm-hmm. So when we got back together, uh, my stepdaughter was just her rebellion against it was just reached way new heights. And <laughs> we would literally be standing, her and I, like in the kitchen together. And she'd be talking to me and we'd be laughing and joking. And uh, she would be on her phone texting her dad in a different room of the house saying, I thought I told you she's not allowed to talk to me. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it, it was bizarre. It was bizarre. And, and I had at that point, I stepped completely back. The kids were completely, you know, all decisions were with him. And um, she then started taking it out on him. And there came a day where she she and my husband got into a big argument. And he packed her bag, took her to the airport, and put her on a plane and sent her to her mom. And we didn't hear from her for four years. Not one text message, not one email, not one phone call. And he blamed me. It was my fault that he lost his daughter. Yeah, that was my, that's what I was almost going to say before you said it was, I'm sure he blamed you for that. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Even though I had nothing to do with that fight, um, I was not involved in that argument whatsoever. I had no part in his decision to put her on a pack her up, put her on a plane, nothing. But it was my fault that he lost his daughter. The interesting thing was that four years later, I was the one who contacted her and said, at this time, the military had moved us to Dayton, Ohio. And so we were just a couple of hours from her. And it was Father's Day. And I had bought a ticket to a baseball game. And I contacted her asking her if she would meet us at that baseball game to celebrate Father's Day with him. And she showed up. And she spent a good portion of the summer, the entire summer, with us. and. A lot of that was spent with um, vacation time with my husband's family, and she clung to me. She did not leave my side at all. She confided things in me that she wouldn't tell any of the other family members. Sorry, problem my throat. And at one point during that summer, he did turn to me and say, this has to be redemption for you. That was the only recognition that he gave me that he saw that I did not do the things that she said that I did. Right. So do you feel like over the, those four years she grew up and realized, you know, the mistakes that she made and the lies that she told and, and felt like that she needed to? Um, well, I think she, over the years, um, she knows that what she did was wrong, um, but she has certainly not grown up. Um, We 
after that, at the end of that summer, we had uh, purchased a car for her. We had, uh, well, Andy co-signed on an apartment with her, uh, got her set up to go to college, and she wasn't in classes for even a month when we realized she did not tell us. We found out by calling the college, but she had dropped out. She had left the apartment that we ended up paying the rent on the next year. She lost her car, got it repossessed. She was bouncing from home to home. Um, and uh, she um, got pregnant. Um, and I was the one that she contacted first. She didn't contact her mom. She didn't contact her dad. She contacted me to tell, to tell us she was pregnant. Um, and I don't know, maybe a month or two later, she contacted us again to tell us that she was no longer pregnant. And, you know, she would come into our lives and then she would disappear. And then she'd come into our lives and then disappear. Well, the next time she came into our life, uh, she was calling us from jail. And um, so growing up, no, I don't think she grew up at all. And now she is pregnant again um, and still no guy in the picture. He told her he wanted nothing to do with it. And um, as far as I know, she's due to have her baby at the end of this month. No. When she came back around uh, after that Father's Day, you you had to have had probably your guard up with her. Mm-hmm. I was terrified. I mean, even though she's confiding in you and all that, there, was there part of you that's like, mm, no, I don't think I want to fall for this? <laughs> hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, well, I had my guard up because I didn't trust her. You know, I didn't know what she was going to do, what she was going to say, how she was going to act, you know, Um, so that part. But, you know, I had just spent the last four years going through the process of forgiveness. I had to forgive her. I had to forgive my husband. I had to forgive my stepson. Um, And by the time she came back into the picture, I'd forgiven her for what she had done. Um, but I was, I was completely cautious about it. Um, but I was, I was very open to just loving her and showing her that, you know, when you have the Lord in your life, that the healing is possible. So you haven't really talked a whole lot about the stepson. It's been more about the stepdaughter. Mm. Well, that was a whole other, whole other beast. Um, so I had told you that he had had issues with lying, and mm-hmm. that did not stop um, over the years. Uh, it just got the things he lied about got more dangerous and. Um, he at one point had threatened me physically and um, uh, 
goodness, there are so many things that happened with him over the years, but the culmination was um, just shortly before Christmas, uh, we opened the door to find a police detective standing on our doorstep and uh, to tell us that he had been accused of rape. Mm. And, you know, that would affect any parent. Um, but I was especially affected because I had been raped as a teenage girl myself. And so I was looking at it from that perspective and watching because there are things that once you've been through that situation, you know, there are certain signs that are just obvious to you. Mm-hmm. And those signs were there. And as we questioned him about it, he kept changing his story as he usually did when he lied about something. And I watched as my husband hired a lawyer and sat in on that meeting and listened to the lawyer tell us that we were not to ever speak of it again, that we were not to talk to our family, our friends, our pastor and certainly not a counselor, and um, and then listened as the lawyer turned to my stepson and started coaching him what to say if somebody started talking to him about it and coached him to say, talk to my lawyer. So the lawyer didn't want y'all talking about it because then that would mean that you believed he did. Correct, that it would open us up to... Uh, people to the police coming after our son. Mm-hmm. So yeah. this goes to the whole uh, stigma that's related to lawyers being shady and liars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, you don't want to have to, you don't want to have to be in court and testify about a conversation you had. Yeah. So you just don't have a conversation. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the most disturbing part of that whole meeting was the moment that my stepson realized that he was being protected and like this coy smile just came across his face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure that the, whatever feelings that you had from what happened to you kind of gets transferred to him as you're mm-hmm. looking at him and dealing with him. Yes. Yeah. And my husband traveled a lot and the thought of being alone in the house with him was scary. Yeah, it was terrifying. And, um, and I thought that, and my husband knew this part about my past. And, and I kept thinking in my mind, he will find a way to protect me through this. Um, and he did not. But, and I talked to him and told him how I was feeling. And, you know, that it was triggering my experience um, as a young woman. And he said, well, I'm sorry. You know, the lawyer said no counselors. And did the stepson ever admit that he did? Yes. He did. Mm -hmm. He admitted it to me while Andy was gone at a conference. And when I called my husband and told him, he immediately got on a plane and flew home and my stepson sat there 
and told him, I never said that to her. (laughs) And I said, no, sir, you will not lie this time. You tell your dad right now what you said to me. And he did finally tell his dad, yes, I did tell her that, but I lied. (laughs) So even his lies have lies. Right. It was just a world of crazy. And so over the next several, oh my goodness, months after that, well, Andy had told him, you will never have a phone as long as you live in our house again. You will only go to school and come home. You will get a job to pay us back for the lawyer and you will not date until you are out of this house. And I was great with all of those. I'm like, yes, yes. Well, as per usual, empty threats. And within a less than a year, he had his phone back. He had not paid back one penny of the lawyer fees. He was going and doing things, you know, outside of school activities and um, unsupervised. And then about two weeks uh, before my husband left, I found text messages between him and my stepson and found out that they had been lying to me and going behind my back. And my husband was helping him set up dates to go out with girls. What? Yeah. So. How was that? How was, (laughs) what do you mean he was helping him set up dates? So there was a girl that he was interested in that he worked with and he would, they would tell me that my husband would say, oh, I'm taking him to baseball practice. And instead, he would take him to the ice cream shop or wherever and drop him off to and go somewhere else and let him have a date with this girl. Okay. That's different than what I was thinking. <laughs> We're thinking he's pimping him out. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know, dad's contacting girls online and setting them up with his daughter. I mean, with his yeah. son or something. Wow. That's still, that's, oh man, you, you have a whirlwind of crazy around your life. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So how, how do you, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, well, I was just going to say that um, when I refused to put my boundary away for that, as I told him, he, and mind you, we only had one year left with him in the house. One year. Mm-hmm. And then he'd be out on his own. He cannot date for the next year is, was my stipulation. And Andy said, nope, not going to happen. And he told his son to go pack his bags and they left. And that's how, that's how things ended. So he left because you wanted him to enforce the rules that he had originally stated yeah. that he had for this kid. Mm-hmm. Did the um, stepson ever get charged with anything? Or, I mean, um... he did not because the I, I spoke to the detective later, and the detective said that the mom of the girl who had been assaulted um, had refused to press charges because she didn't want her daughter to go through the trial. Mm. The girl was the one who, the reason it came out was the girl went to the school counselor and confided in her. 
and then she had to report it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's definitely not something you want to teach your children to no. not stand up for yourself. Um, yeah. with something. I mean that that falls into the whole law and order SVU thing <laughs> where it's you know I don't yeah. want to go to court. Right. You know, let's not prosecute. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, because then you're, vic- you're victimized twice. Yeah. And and the person who did it gets away with it. And then it's, there's a high likelihood they'll do it again because, hey, there was no repercussions. Correct. Correct. So when your husband left this time, mm-hmm. did you start having those same suicidal thoughts again? or um... I did not. By this time, I was a different person, a different mindset. Um, you know, I, I guess maybe because it had happened to me before. Um, I was stronger this time around. I have to say this, even though it's a bad thing to say at this at this moment. Of course you do, David. But they say, <laughs> you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. David. <laughs> yes. Well, it, you know, it's true. Laura Beth, I'm so sorry. No, you don't have to apologize. I mean, he's saying what everybody else thinks, you know. So, but it's true. I mean, the Lord, absolutely. I mean, I'm a fighting tenacious person anyway, but that it just made me an even stronger person. And I mean, people have been shocked, I guess is the only word I can say at how resilient I've been coming out of this. And First of all, all glory goes to God, for sure. I mean, he has carried me through every single step of what has happened. And he has taken care of me just amazingly um, this year. So, but, um, you know, there have been moments um, that it's been lonely and hard and the abandonment kind of overwhelms you. Um, But like I said, from the first time, I've been able to identify those things when they start creeping in. And I just use the plan that I have set in place and use those resources and and they help tremendously. So. So let me ask you this. When your husband said, absolutely not, um, as far as the stepson dating and things like that, mm-hmm. did part of you think to yourself, is this really worth losing my marriage over? No. Or were you just, you know, gung-ho on no, these need to be boundaries that are enforced and I am not um, wavering? At that point, for me, had I stepped back and just, allowed it to happen, I felt like then I was contributing to the next person he was going to hurt. It would be partially my fault. I would be responsible. Well, I'm surprised you didn't get blamed for it for the first time. Well, I mean, there were parts of it that I did get blamed for. Um, You know, it just, yeah, I, I don't think my husband took responsibility for any anything of what took place. And yeah. and that's okay. You know what? That's 
that's between him and the Lord. Um, I know the parts that I have to take responsibility for. And it, and believe me, I did so many things wrong. I really did. And I was not perfect in any of it. I mean, we're human for any of us to stand and say, oh, I had no part. Um, well, we're lying. Um, mm-hmm. So I was definitely not a perfect stepmom and wish that I could have done things differently. But do I think that things would have ended with his kids' actions and what they chose in life? I think it still would have happened. Yeah. You bring up a good point that I think people often miss is that everybody's life is different. And when when we look at the overall, you know, general 30,000 foot view of what's happening, oftentimes people can, can say things not realizing that there very much is a fact specific determination about how you handle something. In your case, uh, you have a dad who's not enforcing um, the boundaries he put in place. You know, in, in some situations, somebody can say, well, was that really worth, you know, fighting about? In your situation, it absolutely was because we're not yeah. talking about the, the guy didn't say, the dad didn't say, well, if you don't clean your room, you don't get ice cream. Right. You know, it, it's, it's very different. And so yeah. you can't put, you know, even when we're talking to people about the Nacho Kids method and all that, we have to, you know, we have to dig down and go, what is happening here and what is the history behind it? And then mm-hmm. we can start giving some information out that is more helpful to that, um, to that situation because everything's different. You can't just say, well, if the parent doesn't parent, then um, you just have to be okay with it and, and sit there right. and, and suffer through it. In some cases, yeah, you just have to be okay with it. If it's the, you're not getting ice cream scenario, but mm-hmm. you're not, you don't have to be okay with it when it's, oh yeah, we'll reward you for raping some girl. <laughs> right. I mean, it's right. very different. Correct. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, those were the things that went through my mind, even when they were little, it was the dangerous behavior that I saw, you know, when you teach your kids that there are no consequences to lying, um, you're going to reap that in some way, shape or form later on in years. And, you know, and the lies just get bigger and more dangerous. And, um, and that was one of the things that I hung on to fiercely um, and for good reason. And so, you know, there are some battles that you do need to pick. And uh, as Laura Petherbridge says, a hill to die on. And mm-hmm. uh, that was definitely my hill because it, it, it didn't, it, it wasn't just about me. It was about some other person's life and something that could change their life forever. And I could not be a part of that. Yeah. And I have a feeling that stepson is going to need um, his dad to bail him out a lot more in life. Yeah. And as was shown with his daughter, he will pay the bail. Mm -hmm. Well, if it was my daughter he was messing with, stepson probably wouldn't be around much longer. Right. (laughs) Right. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. 
Well, I want to ask you a few things um, to how we can help other stepmoms that are going through things. We see it all the time where the stepmoms are accused of being abusive or accused of um, neglect even. And even if they're not, just the stress of the blend creates depression and suicidal thoughts. Yes. So you had mentioned warning signs to watch for. Mm-hmm. Are there um, kind of generic warning signs for, that we can tell people to watch for for themselves? Oh, yeah, um, definitely. So um, watching in, uh, for behavior changes, um, like for me, you know, I'm a happy person and I enjoy laughing a lot and I enjoy, uh, um, I'm a people person. Um and so anytime you see someone that's typically happy, uh, that is sad all of a sudden and uh, is not wanting to spend time with their friends, um, that's a warning sign. Um, uh, giving up things that, that they enjoy doing. Um, like for me, I was a runner. Uh, and stop running or, you know, other things that, that they're passionate about that they just drop. Mm-hmm. Um, those are definite warning signs. Um, listen to how they're talking. The words um, that they use are so indicative. Um, if they're using all-inclusive phrases, I will never, you know, or I'm always. Um, those kind of all-inclusive use of words um, is a pretty clear sign as well that someone is depressed. Um, so um, someone sleeping all the time. <gasps> um, <laughs> or it can be the opposite too. Uh, someone that is, you know, suddenly in, has insomnia. Um, so there are there are pretty clear telltale signs um, to watch for. Right, and I know one of the things we were talking about um, the negative thoughts that just kept invading your mind when all this was going on. And one of the things that we try to emphasize and teach people in the Nacho Kids Academy is um, the negative thoughts. You may yeah. have heard of Dr. Daniel Amen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talk about him a lot with his aunts, um, automatic negative thinking and how you have to be deliberate in your thinking, or if not, these negative thoughts will just infest your mind. Yes. So, so incredibly true. Um, and that's actually one of the uh, things that I have in my plan of action. That's the next thing I was going to ask you is what's your plan of action or what yes. can we tell someone to have as a plan? Yeah, yeah. So um, that was that's one of the things that I do. I have um, a, a collection of devotional books, <clears throat> you know, just the, the daily little, you know, kind of paragraph type things um, that mm-hmm. are, you know, quick to read. And just bring good things into your mind immediately. And it doesn't have to be a devotional. I know so many out there are, you know, not Christian-based or faith-based. Um, but there are, there are other books that you can buy that have just little 
positive thoughts for the day. And mm-hmm. um, when my mind gets uh, dark, I should say, um, I, I immediately go to those and just start filling my head with good things, positive things. Um, and uh, I have picture boards up in my house too, um, like just cork boards with filled with pictures of my family and my friends and uh, fun things that we've done together. And um, it's like a board of smiles. And mm-hmm. so I look at those and I see the good things in my life. Um, the other thing is um, when someone is suicidal, they are going to isolate themselves. And um, so I make sure that I call one of my friends or my family and tell them, hey, you know, my head is there. And they know when I say that, they know exactly what I mean. And um, and I have in place that if, if I get really bad, um, someone, I'll invite someone to come over and stay the night with me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's very important. Um, I even tell people, you were talking about the devotional books and positive thinkings. I mean, you can go on YouTube and, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, you can go on YouTube and find stupid videos. Yeah. Anything to distract your mind from going down that spiral of negativity. Yeah. Or go watch I Love Lucy reruns, reruns, reruns. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And anything that gets your mind out of where it is. Now, I will say that there is nothing as effective as human contact at that point. Mm -hmm. To have a person that knows you, loves you, and can just hug you and be beside you, physically beside you, is life-changing, life-saving, for sure. Yeah, because you don't want to feel alone when you're feeling that way. Feeling alone on top of the stress and feeling like um, Mm -hmm. you're a loser or whatever, um, it just adds to it, I think. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, And that is why... Having a stepmom group of ladies that you know and can confide in and it is vital. I cannot stress that enough because, you know, you may have friends that aren't stepmoms that support you, but they don't understand like another stepmom understands what you're going through and finding, you know, Mel and I call it your tribe. Find your stepmom Mm -hmm. tribe is no joke. It's vital. It's life changing. It is healing for the soul and it helps keep you going in those moments when you hear somebody else say, Oh yeah, I know. I get it. Yep. This happened to me too then you don't feel like you're crazy. You don't feel like you're a failure um, because you're not the only one. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I do want to bring up, um, before we let you go, there, of course, is the suicide prevention hotline. Yes. And we'll provide those numbers and information um, 
in our show notes. They also have an online chat that Mm -hmm. people can go to so they don't have to call if they don't feel like talking to somebody. And then there's also the crisis text line Mm -hmm. where you can you can text home to numbers based off if you're in the United States, Canada, or the UK, and we're going to provide those. <clears throat> Golly, mm. we're going to provide those numbers too. Um, and I'm not trained in any of suicide prevention things, but if anybody wants to reach out to me, they can. Mm-hmm. I'm more than happy to chit chat. Yes, me and to say and, stupid things. <laughs> and, yes, and they can reach out to me as well. I would be more than happy. Yeah. Well, that part about the human touch and, you know, just giving, just having somebody just to hold you, hug you, or just tell you it's going to be okay. I mean, there's so many studies about uh, the physiological changes that happen in the body with human touch. I mean, everything from what happens in the brain when somebody touches your hand or gives you a hug all the way down to you know, they've studied babies who've had a lack of human touch and how they have tons of issues and health problems and all that because of that lack of human touch. So it's yes. super vital to have that. Absolutely. Yes. So quit telling is. me to stop touching you, Lori. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, re- I remember after my mom died and after my sister died, David would like um, try to comfort me. And I automatically push him away because I don't want to cry. Mm, And, you know, once somebody hugs you and you're already sad, or even if, you know, the old lady at church puts her hand on your back, I mean, it can just start the waterworks. Oh, yes. So, yeah, definitely human touch is so important. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And David, they don't mean that kind of touch. (laughs) (laughs) You are you sure, <laughs> Laura Beth? Say something real quick to get it <laughs> change the thought process. <laughs> well, I don't know. I've done a lot. Um, no, y'all are. Uh, uh, here's my thought on that. Y'all are lucky. Y'all are fortunate to have each other. Yes, we are. <laughs> we are. And honestly, if you would have been in a Facebook group or my Facebook group. Years ago, when um, your husband was not being supportive of you, I would have told you to leave. And I don't really tell people that. I tell them to fight and to um, yep. work for their marriage and um, don't even use the divorce word. Don't let that be an option. But, girl, yep. he didn't have your back from the beginning. And it just makes me sad. Yeah, it makes me sad, too. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, and and honestly, um had he not walked out, I'd still be there fighting. Of course you would. I'd still be fighting for the marriage and I'd still be fighting because I literally had a countdown on my phone. How many days left until Ethan was going off to college? Because it gave me hope. This is how many days I have to fight for. Mm -hmm. And I would have stuck in there. I I would still be fighting for it, but yeah, but then you when can't. Ethan drops out of um, college because, know. you know, he'd be yep, back. I know. Exactly. Yes. No, uh, he'll be locked so. up because he'll be around all those girls and no <laughs> no supervision. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I need to get one of those apps. <laughs> right? No. 
<laughs> if we talk about people having those apps all the time and we're like, yeah, they act like when the kids turn 18, they're just going to magically disappear. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, his daughter is, you know, kind of case in point, but, you know, um, she's out of the house and still still needing to be rescued and pulled out of her bad decisions. So, yeah, it still stays. Until they have a life-changing moment for themselves, they have to make that choice to to live their life in a better way. You know, they'll they'll keep coming back. Mm -hmm. So I take it you have no um, interaction with the stepkids now. I do not. I do not. And you're not dealing. But my children are happy, healthy, functioning members of society. So. They um they are both doing very very well. So good, right? Mm-hmm. You found that peace finally. Yeah, um, absolutely. As you know, like I said, the Lord has just walked me through every single second, and um, I am resettled in uh, God's country here in Texas. And, um, uh, my business is doing well and, um, God has opened the doors for, um, speaking, uh, not only for the step family conferences, but, uh, for the, um, American foundation for suicide prevention. And, um, it's, you know, I'm using what has happened in my life and, uh, using it to help other people. And because otherwise, what's the point, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a perfect segue into my next question, which was how can people find you or hear you speak? You know, where are you going to be in the Texas area or, or anywhere in the United States coming up that they can, mm-hmm. they can hear your story? And Yeah. Um, so online, um, I'm known as the starving stepmom. Um, so the starving stepmom. The starving stepmom. Yes, it's um, it, it was the name uh, that came up for the devotional that Melanie and I wrote together, Daily Bread for the Starving Stepmom. Mm-hmm. And um, you can find that book uh, on my website, thestarvingstepmom.com, and you can order it off of there. And um, so you can find me on my website. Uh, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Um, and I do respond to the people that message me and um, will have a full conversation with you. And, um, and then my next speaking engagement is in Lehigh, Utah. And um, uh, that's going to be a step family conference. Uh, along with Laura Petherbridge, and um, you can find that on Facebook as well. Um, Stepmom Glow Up, G L O W U P, and um, and then of course we have the conference coming up here with Stepmoms Alive um, here in Austin, uh, January sixteenth, seventeenth, and um, and you can find that information if you want to register for that. Uh, you can find that on Stepmoms Alive. And and then I do various speaking uh, whenever uh, 
it comes up here in the Austin area for the suicide prevention. So, um, yeah. So if there's an organization that wants you to come speak, you'll do that as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, you just, uh, find me, um, my, uh, webpage there and, uh, it has my contact information and, um, I would be more than happy to come and, and speak. All right. Great. And you also, um, you said your business is your business, the stepmom business. Actually, it is not. So I'm, um, I teach piano. So I have a piano studio um, that I run out of my home. And so I'm a business owner with that. And um, I've done that for about 10 years now. And um, it's amazing to uh, spend the time with the, the kids and their smiles. And they're amazing. And um, yeah, I'm very, very blessed with that. Yes, I can play the meow song. Meow, 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 meow. And I taught myself how to play. Nothing could be finer than to be in Carolina in the morning on the organ. Very nice. Now, so you you really have to share that at some point with everyone. Oh no, we'll make her do it at the conference in Austin. That would be fantastic. Better practice that well. And uh, you'd have better luck getting me to sing on the good ship lollipop. (laughs) Now, I think we would take that, too. (laughs) I think y'all would just take whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is called cheap entertainment. Hey, we should have a talent portion. Oh. (laughs) Or a lack of talent portion. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really good idea. I'll have to throw that towards Mel and see. Yeah, I'll bring my hula hoop. Yes, ma'am. Bring it all. You're Bring like, it all. I want to see that. You better have EMS on standby. <laughs> and if it doesn't happen in the conference, it could happen in our suite after hours. Oh, yeah. So, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yes. That's I feel some fun, fun coming. That's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, Laura Beth, we knew that this would be awesome talking to you. And we are so thankful that you were not successful in ending your life. <laughs> David, why are you laughing? It's because you paused right there. Well, I mean, I didn't know exactly what to say. We're thankful that you were a failure. No. That's, you know, that's exactly what we say in our talk is that, you know, success and failure when it comes to suicide, success is a very bad thing and failure is most certainly good. So... <laughs> Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, congrats on your failure. Thank you. <laughs> it's the best failure of my life. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, <laughs> we really do appreciate you sharing this because, um, as we mentioned before we started recording, that we do see a lot of stepmoms that are struggling with this. And um, we need you to help. So. Yeah. And the way Dave would say it, good thing you ain't dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, um, it's, it's my honor, really. It's a privilege that God would take something so incredibly hard and painful and turn it around to be able to speak into somebody else's life. 
and uh, it's humbling for sure. Yeah, you know, um, I'm sure it's not always easy to talk about. It's kind of like when David and I decided to share our struggles um, with the Nacho Kids thing, and we are so blessed that we are constantly receiving feedback on how people are saying, you know, thank you to Nacho Kids. Um, it saved my sanity or my marriage or both or um, yeah. how it's impacting them in other areas of their lives because it's letting go of the things you can't control and controlling how you let it to affect you. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And that positive thinking, girl, every morning you wake up, tell yeah. yourself you love each other. Exactly. You love each other. You love yourself. <laughs> exactly. Yes. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Don't forget that human touch, too. Yes. <laughs> She's rolling her eyes at me. <laughs> That's true. Mm-hmm. For those of you that are new to our podcast, I used to hit David when we were sitting beside each other when we recorded. And so he made me start sitting at my own desk, but I have a Nerf gun. So oh, y'all are probably getting ready to hear the Nerf gun for the first time. <laughs> Don't shoot me with that. Thing. That is funny. Hear the clicking? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Hey, y'all, I'm not kidding. This thing is awesome. It's a little mini Nerf gun. Like, it's really tiny. It's smaller than my hand, and it shoots, like, up to 80 feet, and it was $1.98 at Walmart. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I'll bring it to the conference. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. She's already a bit afraid of what I'm going to say or do at the conference anyway. I've had so many warnings about Mm -hmm. (laughs) the conference. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So, be praying about that, Laura Beth. (laughs) Y'all just need to be yourselves, and it'll be perfect. No, he does not need to be. That's the problem. (laughs) Well, thank you again for being a guest, and we really appreciate everything that you do to help other people. Thanks for having me on, you guys. And I'm sure that we'll talk to you soon. Yes, absolutely. Okay. All right, bye. 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 Well, hope y'all are still here. Yeah. David, stop. That's rough. Yeah. Like she has come. Look, when you can go through something like that and then stand up and tell your story, you know how hard it is for us to tell our story and relive the past hurts. But we weren't that far um, as far as, you know, thinking about hurting yourself and all that. That's got to be so tough to share your story and relive some of those emotions when you know that it nearly took you to the end. But I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it. I can understand it. Um, honestly, I don't know that I could have understood it before. But when you're a stepmom and you're already struggling, your marriage is struggling, the in-laws hate you, the kids hate you, everybody hates you, you feel like a bad person, you feel like you can't win, nothing you do is right, you try to treat the stepkids as your own, then you get fussed at because you treated them as your own by disciplining them and You're only supposed to love them as your own and not discipline them. And it's just like a vicious cycle of confusion and you don't know what to do. And then you go in these stepmom groups and you say, I don't like my stepkids. And then people are like, what's your address so I can come beat you up because you're a horrible person. (laughs) And, you know, the support is um, it's lacking, Mm -hmm. to say the least. I had written a blog back in November of last year about stepmom struggles and for that blog, I did a poll in our Facebook group. I think I left it up for like 24 hours or something. And it was really sad 
and eye-opening to see that the results of the poll, there was anxiety, depression listed, suicidal thoughts, being withdrawn, feeling alone, feeling hate, lots of stress. There's so many feelings associated with being a stepmom that are negative. And the last thing that they need is somebody else saying, you're a bad person. Yeah. You know, you don't need validation about the negative things, which is often what happens in step families. And sometimes we hear those things, even though that's not what's being said. You know, we talk about this a lot with people who are coaching where you say one thing, but the person hears something totally different. Like I do with you. <laughs> well, no, not like that. Only you can do that. <laughs> No, no, I'm no, you, you literally, I'll say one thing and then you come back and go, did you say this? And I'm like, that is nowhere near what I said. <laughs> no, what I'm talking about is when somebody says something like, um, you might say there's still dishes in the sink and what I hear, even though I heard you say that, what my, you know, mentally and emotionally I'm hearing is you're a crappy parent and your kids won't do chores and they suck and blah, blah, blah. And you know, mm-hmm. it just, you hear those things in your head and I don't think people put a lot of thought into what they're saying and then how that other person is going to take that, internalize it and then start adding a lot of labels to it, which is very damaging to themselves. Right. And that's why the number one rule of nachoing is to say nothing negative to or about the stepkids because the bio parent is going to get defensive. Yeah. And if you skirt around saying something negative, they're still likely to get defensive. But if you flat out say you lazy young and didn't do the dishes, how do you think they're going to respond to that? Yeah. Well, not only that, but when, when you do finally get to the point where you're not saying those types of things, people will, um, will reflect what you did in the past. And so you might start nachoing and then decide you're going to say something like, um, the dishes didn't get done. But what I remember is that three months ago, your response was, your sorry kid didn't do the dishes again. And so even though you've changed your tone and even though you changed what you said, I'm still filtering it through the past hurts and the past pains and the past experiences. So is there any use for people to change the way they ask? Oh, absolutely. Because what you have to do is you have to start rebuilding the past that uh, you created of course, you don't change the past, but what you're doing is you're starting to redefine how the new way that you're approaching things is. And it's, it's like when you start building trust in a relationship, you know, you don't you don't start out with having ultimate trust of somebody. It starts out where you have a certain level of trust and then it, it builds over time. And if something happens where some of that trust gets lost, then oftentimes you can build build it back. But it's it's the same principle is that, you know, you could treat me a certain way for a while and it might be positive or negative, but you can change the way you start treating me. And then the way I start viewing that moving forward takes on a whole new meaning. Well, the reason I ask that is because a lot of times we'll tell stepmoms, don't tell dad their kid didn't do the dishes. Just say, Hey honey, when you get a chance, can you do the dishes? Mm -hmm. Because really you're pointing out subconsciously maybe, I don't know the word I'm looking for, that their kid didn't do the dishes. Yeah, without saying it. Right. And and you still may get, if it's the first time you do it, you still might get the same reaction from him. And it and it certainly depends on how you say it. Because if you go up to him and you say, 
um, the dishes didn't get done again <laughs> um, or something like that. Well, I no, mean, that's why I said you say, hey, honey, can you do the dishes? Yeah. Or can, I always like using the, the phrase, can you help me? Right. Because, because it, pe- yeah, people like helping other people. They like feeling like they're being helpful for the most part. <laughs> so that that often is a phrase that gets people to to do things to uh, to step up. Right, but then the stepmom goes, help me do the dishes. They ain't my dishes. They're everybody's dishes. They're helping me. you helping everybody. Yeah, well, yeah. It, you can play that game or you can play mine. <laughs> David lives in his own sandbox. Yeah, I'm just saying. No, my- seriously, it <laughs> does come across differently when you say, hey, can you do the dishes versus, hey, can you help me and do the dishes? Mm-hmm. So. Well, what it does is it, it takes, when you hear that, you hear like you hear that this is not my responsibility, but I'm going to help somebody do it uh, versus pushing it on them. Now, over time, you can start changing that, but that's where you have to really learn how to understand where you are in your blend, what challenges you have, and how you should approach those things. And how you approach it today is not necessarily going to be how it's approached six months from now. And it probably wasn't how it was approached six months before now. So it's always changing, which is why we always tell people when they're in the academy, you know, we have to gauge where you are. We have to keep track of that, what's going on. And dynamically, we have to coach you on what's the best next step to take. And oftentimes, the hardest part is just figuring out where you're at mm-hmm. <laughs> initially so that we know which way to go. we like, I'm in this mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I have to be more specific than that. <laughs> yeah, because sometimes people will, you know, tell us stuff or even post stuff. Like in the Facebook group, I was trying to help a lady the other day and she's, her whole post is all about how she's not nachoing and then, you know, her husband's not parenting. And so I replied back to her and I was like, well, it sounds like, um, your husband needs to step up and be an active parent. And she's like, oh no, he's a super active parent. (laughs) I'm like, that, that goes against everything you just posted. (laughs) Well, once again, though, even though she posted that, she doesn't want you telling her that her husband's not doing something right. No, probably not. Yep, she gets defensive. And she can. Mm-hmm. But I'm not here to... Uh, Coddle people. Right. You know, But I'm not me and mean either. Sometimes the funny part about coaching is that oftentimes people hear us tell them something they've already heard from somebody else. And sometimes the somebody else they heard it from is their spouse. And we're not telling them anything different. It's just that because it's coming from somebody else, now all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, we've coached a lot of people where they'll say, you know, I don't understand why my significant other is doing X, Y, and Z. And then they'll say something like, you know, they said that they just were stressed out and, and didn't know what to do. And I'm like, well, that's your answer. They're telling you they don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. They're they're paralyzed because they just don't know. They're stuck. And so, and, and they're like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, just listen to what people are telling you. They often are telling you exactly what's going on. Right. If you're having suicidal thoughts, please reach out to somebody. There's the suicide prevention hotline. It's 1-800-273-8255. Let me repeat that in my non-Southern voice. <laughs> the suicide prevention hotline is 1-800-273-8255. There's also an online chat, suicidepreventionlifeline.org slash chat. The website is suicidepreventionlifeline.org. 
Then there is a crisis text line. I did not know about this until I wrote this article and did some research. In the United States, you can text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741. In Canada, text HOME to 686-868. And in the UK, you can text HOME to 85258 if you need help and want to chat with someone. And their website is crisis text line.org. So lots of resources out there. Yes. All right. Good deal. Well, that is our show for today, folks. Thanks for listening. We hope you got a lot out of this and we hope people found it helpful. So you, no matter how bad you think things are, you can get on, you can get to the other side of the struggle. And we thank Laura Beth for sharing her story with us and others. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because they help people. They help a lot of people. Mm -hmm. All right. So until next week, Just remember that life is good when you nacho. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nacho Kids podcast. Find us online at nachokids.com. Until next time, remember, life is good when you nacho.